Welcome to another edition of Right Voices. I'm John Hart, the co-founder of C3 Solutions, the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions, and the editor of our news magazine, C3. Today, we're honored to be joined by West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore Capito. In 2015, Senator Capito became not just the first woman to be elected to the U.S. Senate from West Virginia, but the first Republican since 1942. Senator Capito is the ranking member of the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee and the vice chair of the Senate Republican Conference. She's also the author, along with Senators Carper and Whitehouse, of an important new bipartisan nuclear energy bill that's moving through the Senate now called the Advance Act. Senator, welcome. Thanks for taking time to visit during such a busy week. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So I think, you know, this the Advance Act and what's happening in the Senate is significant on a few different levels. But I thought just to start, so people understand what, what the bill is, maybe you could just describe uh, why, as a, you know, as senator from coal country, why you decided to lead on the issue of nuclear energy? Well, I think it's important as you look at the whole framework and if we're going to look 30, 40, 50 years down the road for uh, where we're going to get our uh, energy and, and how we're going to generate our power. And I think that uh, as I obviously from a coal state, a natural gas state, uh, still want those in the mix. Uh, but I know that to get baseload fuel and to get baseload uh, capacity, uh, which our capacity appetites are only going to grow through right. the years, that we really need to incorporate more nuclear technologies. And there's been a lot of innovation in the nuclear field over the last several years with small modular uh, reactors and other uh, technologies. But we still have a ways to go to get the process streamlined, to make sure that our uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has the capacity and the um, the abilities to license and license these in a timely manner because these these are big investments. Uh, and also, I think too, uh, I think as we look towards our own homeland security, that uh, the, the security of uh, our nuclear power uh, generation is important. And lastly, I would say that uh, the Advance Act, which is the nuclear uh, bill that we were able to get into the uh, defense authorization, is a, it's bipartisan, but it's also telling the world that our technologies are uh, are going to be the dominant technologies. We want to have global dominance here uh, for obvious reasons, uh, national security obviously being, being the biggest. So, um, and then I'll just kind of go back and say in my state, which obviously has a lot of coal, natural gas, uh, power generation is exclusively coal almost. And, uh, you know, our legislature uh, came to the table two years ago and said, look, we've got to open this up to other power generation and nuclear should be one of them. And we have a lot of abandoned coal sites, uh, power generation sites that because of this advanced act, act and other things that are going on with the Department of Energy, you could repurpose these uh, uh, sites that are no longer producing and uh, use them for nuclear purposes. So uh, there's a whole realm of really good things for my area specifically, but also the country and essentially the world. And, and the state of play again, Senators, this bill, it's not merely just bipartisan. It passed, well, I think 16 to three right. the committee. And it's it's gonna be attached to the National Defense Authorization Act. And what are the, what are the prospects of it moving through the House and being signed into law? You know, we feel very positive about uh, the reaction that we're going to get in the House. Uh, and so we've been working with our House counterparts, obviously, all along the way 
anything we we did as we were trying to incorporate it into this piece of legislation had to drop out some of the some of the sticking points, so to speak. So we were able to compromise that. But there's a, an increasing interest. I, I sponsored this with Senator Carper, with Senator Whitehouse. Uh, the economic uh, picture is still not clear, and that's part of what this is about, is incentivizing economics of it. But I think in terms of the environmental aspects of nuclear, I said there's no question it's cleaner right. and it's greener. And, and so I think we need to make sure that we incorporate that. Yeah, so on that point, I think it's one of the takeaways, I think, from what's happening with the Advance Act is it shows to the extent to which there's been a shift within the Republican Party conservative movement on climate. So I, I was a Senate staffer for 10 years. I was Tom Coburn's communications director, you know, from oil and gas state. Mm-hmm. He was skeptical. And, and I, I think, you know, true science is skepticism. Uh, but what there was a shift that happened five, 10 years ago where uh, the majority of senators, representatives in Congress would say their main focus was to push back on what they viewed as climate alarmism. And that still is an important message is to is to not uh, be alarmist. But at the same time, there's there's a greater realization that humans do have some role in climate change. And uh, I think that gives has given Republicans an opportunity to talk about the strength of their argument on economic freedom. You know, we've done a report that says free economies are twice as clean as less free economies. Do you, do right. you see a shift in the in the politics on the right? You know, I do side? I do see a shift and I think it's it's coming from different sources. Number one, I think the realization that our energy appetite is exponentially going to grow regardless of whether you're driving an electric vehicle or not. Uh, these are our demands are just bigger and broader. I mean, I, the trends are there. So we have to meet that challenge. Second of all, I think we have to look at what the younger generation is thinking about. Um, The argument's been made to them and for them that uh, we have uh, an issue here that we need to really seriously address in terms of resiliency and sustainability and being able to um, capture uh, uh, emissions that may be not just contributing to a rise in the temperature and all that, but maybe uh, detrimental to our own uh, physical health and, mm-hmm. and environmental health. And I mean, I think acknowledging those facts is our, our plain, but I think our younger generation, they don't just acknowledge the fact this is truth to them. And I think they're experiencing it. So here, here's the way I look at it. I mean, uh, I think we're smart as Republicans to be addressing these issues and to have solutions because the solution that's missing here is any kind of transitional solution. It's either you're all one way or you're the other in the, in the eyes of, say, President Biden, for instance. It's going to everything has to be green. Everything has to be renewable. Everything has to cost more and all this. No, no, it doesn't. Here are our solutions. Let's use our own energy resources. Let's push push innovation. Let's uh, work in committee like we did with Senator Carper on the highway bill and say, do we need more sustainable uh, materials? Do we need to use more natural landscape when we're building certain things? Those are very acceptable in my view, rather than, you know, piling on a bunch of cement or something like that. And I think industry is on board with this. I think, um, uh, the, the younger generation is, and I think it's something our party can be proud of because honestly, what we're offering are common sense transitional uh, solutions that are going to have the desired results. I mean, we are cleaning up our emissions now without all of this. 
Let's mm-hmm. continue to do that. Yeah, and you've also been a leader in this conversation about should the Biden administration declare a climate emergency? Explain your explain your role in that debate and why it's important to choose the path that you've chosen when it comes to promoting solutions and and well, I think we should policy. disallow. Yeah, I, I think we should disallow that uh, a climate emergency can be declared because it's just not an objective standard here. If you have an, uh, well, let's take the COVID emergency for instance. Pretty obvious we had something going on here that was killing people and 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 very uh, difficult and not understandable. So the president declared, President Trump declares a health emergency. I think we all accept that. Well, if you're going to have a climate emergency, what does that mean? Does that mean more rain, less rain, higher temperatures, lower temperatures, more wind, less wind? I mean, it's just hard. You can you can make it say whatever you want. But with that declaration of emergency comes enormous powers to the executive. And what this executive has already shown that they want to do through the regulatory environment is to go way beyond what Congress's desires are and put their own uh uh, bias onto every regulation, onto every piece of legislation, uh, even though it's explicitly it's been debated. We, we we had this debate in the highway bill. We excluded a lot of things. And then the administration comes right back and puts, puts them back on. That's a violation of what Congress's desire is. And this administration does this time and time again in a regulation. If the president, this president in particular, were to have the ability to declare a climate emergency, hold on to your hat. Because there is no, in my view, there are no extremes to which they would not go. And, and they'd, have, they'd have more power to be able to do right. it. So, so, so your, your objection really is, it's that if the Biden administration, just to be clear with listeners, the Biden administration's desire to declare an emergency, it isn't so much a commentary on, on the quote no. threat or risk assessment. It is, an, it is a power grab and it would, it would actually make it more difficult to to develop and win public support of durable solutions. So isn't isn't the momentum behind your bill a great argument against the Biden administration's desire to declare a climate emergency? Yes, yes. And I do, it, you're right. It's not just a statement of, oh, we have a climate. Uh, and it is the it is the powers that are granted to the president. For instance, uh, you could uh, forego certain regulations. You could forego cost-benefit analysis. You could uh, speed up certain deployment of funds for one reason or the other. I mean, there's it, it drops a lot of the the checks and balances that are built into the system uh, between the executive and the legislature, and it gives the executive, the president, the ability to skirt a lot of these. And and to me, that would be uh, a dangerous precedent to set. But also, it could uh, come with difficult consequences. And and on, on the advance act, what what are the what are the real problems this bill fixes, and how does it do it? Well, what it does is it uh, right now the the when when people think of a nuclear power plant, for instance, they think of the old power plants with the huge towers with spent fuel and and uh, all the enormous. Uh, security and great expense. The developing technology are smaller. You could put maybe on an old footprint, four to eight of these small nuclear uh, reactors. You could put one in a small at a small city and power the whole city if if it became economic economically feasible. So we're pushing. So because we we see the 
the benefits of being able to, de to deploy these small nuclear, we don't have the regulatory environment to be able to speed this along. In other words, I don't want to be talking about this in 15 years. We should already have units up and running by then, by well before then. And the Nuclear Regulatory Commission as a body has been used to dealing with the old way of licensing and relicensing uh, large power reactors. So it does part of that. It also gives um, incentives for people to uh, to invest in in this, it's it's not exactly uh, tax credits, but it is uh, it is uh, incentives uh, for the innovation portion of uh, nuclear development, and 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 also uh, asserts global leadership, as I spoke about at the beginning in the nuclear realm. So that I would rather have our American nuclear technology all around the world than have Chinese technology all over the world within. They have the power over that very valuable resource and power grid, right? And also, isn't isn't licensing reform a key part of this too? That, yes. that if you know, for somebody who wants to, to develop a nuclear small modular reactor, they could spend more on the licensing than they'd ever recoup in profits under right. the current yeah. regime. This does this, yes, and it's 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 making sure that process actually moves and moves with much more expedience. And and let's talk more about where can we where can these be placed? You, you've talked about brownfields and other areas. Mm -hmm. uh, have you have you had discussions with other developers? Uh, even even I have a farm. I I can actually see West Virginia from I'm in Maryland, but I can see Virginia, West Virginia, and Maryland from where I sit. Oh, have you have you ever had discussions with local farmers in West Virginia about putting some putting some of these small reactors on their land where people want to be creative about their land use? You know, I think that's probably a, a dream of the future. I think where the discussions are now is that uh, existing uh, coal-fired power plants that have been de decommissioned, where hundreds of people worked in that community, they're now no longer there. You can put modular, modular reactors there. You can access the power grid from there because it's already been a power station, and you can re-employ all the people in the local area. Right. And, and so th that I think is the first place to look. Um, through a DOE pilot program, that's happening now in, in the state of Wyoming where they're taking an old coal fire power plant and recommissioning it into a, a nuclear site. Um, but you know, nothing comes without stresses and strains. We have to do a lot of education here uh, to the general public um, because I think in some ways nuclear still has a a bit of an asterisk beside it uh, because of past accidents. These are different types of reactors and 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 much more small and contained. And so we, we need to do work there before I would think any kind of deployment into a smaller uh, yeah. type of industrial or agricultural uh, uh, part would, would take part. And, and there's bipartisan support for that first step, which is significant. Oh, yeah, it's it's really... Uh, I, I think it's the realization that baseload power is critical. And uh, and for those who are more on the absolute green side, get end fossil fuels, there's no replacement for uh, the gener power generation of natural gas and coal. But nuclear does have promise. And uh, and in some cases uh, is, is the pre not predominant, but is carrying a heavy load in certain areas. Uh, so, you know, we need to, I look at common sense solutions. And one of them is if it's a really hot day or a really cold day, or if you grow a whole community, or if you get a big plant, 
You got to have the power to generate. Right. And the ener- energy density of nuclear is off the charts. In other words, it's you can produce far more energy per acre with nuclear than almost any other source of, of energy. Right. The problem is now is affordability is a problem, same as it is with carbon capture and you know affordable of the technology. And so that's why this Advance Act is so important, because I think it's going to push this technology a lot quicker, farther in the licensing of it, because you can't just have one small reactor and make that work. You got to have three and four before you get to the econ- the uh, economies of scale. And and what has the reaction been with with people in West Virginia? Is do, do the light bulbs click off? Do they scratch their head and wonder why is Senator well, it's interesting. You know, the history of our state is we actually had a prohibition on nuclear energy that was probably built into the state legislature during the the big time, probably a coal recession maybe into the 70s. And all of a sudden, maybe people started looking at different alternative power sources. And the coal industry, very powerful industry in our state, basically had it written into law that you could not build a nuclear uh, facility and and as a, as a competitor. And so I think several years ago, the legislature came to realize that some of these abandoned uh, coal, mo- coal uh, transmission units that are either being retired mostly because they're so old, 60, 70 years old, and the owners don't want to put the money into it to refurb them, so they just uh, cancel them. They just sit there. So uh, I think the legislature in their wisdom said, hey, we could cite, we can cite nuclear there and have uh, uh, a power generation revenue source as long and an employer at the same time. Well, that's exciting. And is there is there any indication from the administration that there's going to be pushback at the eleventh hour on any of the any of the particulars? It sounds like there's been a lot of work done yeah. over months and years on this piece of legislation. Right. We've been working on this one for a while. Uh, you know, the, my leadership position, and then also uh, Sheldon Whitehouse on the on the um, Democrat side is known as one of the biggest environmentalists in the Senate. He's very much on board with this. So I think we have a good, uh, you know, anytime you can get a vote 16 to three in one of the most controversial committees is pretty, pretty good day. Yeah, that's that's quite an accomplishment. Well, Senator, thank you. So is there anything else you want to add about the Advance Act that do you think people should, people ought to know about that? Uh, no, I, th- I mean, you know, the understanding is it's not all the way through. I mean, we, we still have to work, uh, work this with the House to get it all the way through. But I think we feel confident uh, that the Advance Act We'll stay in the bill, number one, and hopefully, because we passed the NDAA every single year, that the NDAA will pass as well. That's great. Well, Senator, you can you can learn more, and the listeners can learn more about the, the Advance Act and all, small modular nuclear reactors, the nuclear industry, the regulatory fight at our news magazine, c3news.com. And uh, we look forward to, to following this and having you back on. Sounds great. Thank you. You have a good day. Thanks. You too.